Good morning. How are you doing? We are uh, continuing our study. Uh, I told you uh, last week we finished uh, kind of a series, what I had called First Things for the New Year. And uh, we uh, ended up uh, with uh, priorities uh, that we think that in the new year we need to probably have in our lives and then practices that we have. And last week I ended uh, on one of the things that I think is maybe the most imp- one of the most important things I ever learned about uh, practices uh, about God's grace. That one of the, 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 the minimal understandings about God's grace, one of the minimal, you know, it, it's kind of reduced down. Uh, I, we used to kid my dad because my dad had kind of a minimized view of finances. My dad really thought this, and God bless me, he's a great guy. But my dad thought if you just tithed, everything else would take care of itself. And I said, Dad, when you have 21% interest on a, on a, on a credit card, that doesn't fix that. Uh, but, he, you know, he's just kind of a minimalist in that way, and we all, you know, have that. We, I used to think that if I would just exercise more, I could eat all I wanted to. That's not true. <laughs> uh, come to find out that you get to this age in the sixth decade uh, that uh, there's portion control. Th- we, we tend to minimize things is what, what I'm saying. We, we tend to minimize things. It's just some things are so complicated, just make it simple. One of the things I think we have tried to minimize is the matter of grace. And I said last week that what we've typically done is we've talked about grace as pardon. And that's a great thing, that God's grace is for pardon. And this actually is not the lesson, but I want to kind of tie something up. <laughs> but, but it's important, and if you want to listen to it, we recorded last week, that grace is pardon. We understand it as grace as pardon, that God forgives us. What is often missing and has been minimized is the understanding that grace as power Grace as power in the New Testament. Last week, I gave you a bunch of verses. Uh, Hebrews 13, 2 Corinthians 9, or as we say often, 2 Corinthians. And <laughs> that's not an endorsement. That's not a anything, okay? That is the way the British say it, though. Uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 11, uh, and some other, pa- they're just all over the place, uh, where grace is referred to as power. Now, now, my assertion is and has been this, that if we don't really get a hold of this, if we don't really understand grace as power, then it seems to be the only option left for us in following Jesus and living the Christian life is try harder, right? How's that working? <laughs> doesn't work. So grace as pardon and grace as power. And we discussed all those verses, and I, I failed to give you one other thing. This is what I want to give you. That in understanding grace as power, this isn't just some ethereal kinds of mystical kind of thing, but grace as power are ways that we give God access to our life. Now, you know, I'd said before that we sometimes come to church and like Chris will say, now Lord, speak to us. And yet, how often is God speaking to us? All the time, right? Right? We have a service here today that we say we kind of try to get everything out of the way and sit down and have nice music and like that. And we're trying to give God what? Access to speak to us. Uh, But I'm telling you, he's talking all the time. God is trying to communicate and trying to, to lead and guide us. But so we've identified some things. Well, these are things that we do to give God access to our life. And the scripture, I think, is fairly clear that there are several ways that we give God access to our life. I know that sounds kind of crazy. You think, well, he's God. No, God seeks to have access to our life. And we said they are uh, searching the scriptures. 
prayer, by the way, and on Facebook page, some of you joined. I've still got some prayer practice handouts here if you'd like to have them. Uh, and then we have some Bible study uh, practices on uh, the Real Life Facebook page. You can download them. I went back there. We're having some trouble last week, and I went back and reloaded them. So searching the scripture, prayer, uh, uh, the, the ch Christian conference or fellowship, we call getting together with other believers, you know, Christian fellowship, uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, this one, I'd like to go to lunch with you someday about fasting and, uh, <laughs> and go talk about it, theoretically, and solitude. Solitude. In fact, uh, one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, who's a great uh, Roman Catholic uh, uh, scholar, died a few years ago, said this, that, that silence is the furnace of transformation. It's the furnace. Most of us, if we'd be honest, don't have much silence in our life. I tell my kids at the school, I say, the scariest thing you'd have to do is take your earbuds out, put your phone down, get into a room with no media, and sit there for 30 minutes. You might be stunned at what God says to you, Right? We, we, so, 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 so these are all what we call instituted means of grace. We find them in the Bible. We find them in the life of Jesus. And then, of course, there's the providential means of grace. This is a long intro on nothing I have to do today. Um, <laughs> but I think it's important. It, it, it absolutely transformed my understanding how to live the Christian life. I'm, you know, I, I talk, by, by nature, I'm just a disciplined person. And so if I ever thought somebody's having troubles because they're not disciplined enough, well, that doesn't help. Uh, it's a matter of finding how do I get, give God access to my life through, to his grace to, to transform me. So that's the instituted means, but we've all experienced what we call the uh, prudential or providential means of grace. We've all experienced that. We're going through a hard time or difficulty. We're driving down the road in our car uh, and, and we hear a song that speaks directly to what we're going through. What happens in that moment? What do you sense inside? Hello? <laughs> Peace, encouragement. Anybody have the strength to go on? Why? That's grace as power. It's the prudential means. You can't predict it. You don't know when it's going to happen. It, it comes at Unusual times, it may come through a song. It may come through somebody calling you up and saying, look, I don't know why, but God put you on my heart to pray for you today. And I just want, who's had that happen? Huh? Yeah. Somebody, somebody said, man, that does what? It gives you strength. It, it gives you encouragement to go on. Or, 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 or something happens. In, in other words, these are, these are what we call the prudential or providential. Wesley called them prudential. I call them providential. He says tomato. I say tomato. We'll just leave it at that. But, uh, or call the whole thing off. Um, some of y'all know that song, which is weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're old. Um, but these are unpredictable, and you can't count on them. I've had students tell me when I teach on this, I say, I've lived all of my Christian life on the providential means of grace, waiting for something to happen, instead of the instituted means of grace. So what's happening again with the instituted means of grace? We're giving God what? access to our lives. We're, we're, we're opening the door. You're doing that today right now. You're saying, well, God speak to me while I'm Sunday school. What do you, you, you carve this amount of time out to say, I, I, want, I want to give God some access to my life, some entree, some, some opportunity to do something. But I'm telling you, God's doing that all the time. Scripture, prayer, fellowship, uh, the Lord's Supper, fasting, and solitude. He's doing it all the time. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus. 
So we want to participate in the instituted means on a regular basis. And I can tell you this, over the month of January, every time I talked a little bit about this, I, I was trying to seed it a little bit, but I gave over 200 Bible study ways to study the Bible out in this room. That is staggering to me. But it speaks to the point again, I'm kind of on a rampage about this, that I keep telling my students, go to your church and ask them this question. Is it important to study the Bible in order to grow as a Christian? Yeah, good. Where's our class that teaches people how to study the Bible? Where is that? Where, where is that class? I did a Facebook study a few weeks ago. and About 75% or 80% of the people told me nobody teaches them how. Now, that's ridiculous in my judgment, you know. For us to say that this is a primary means of God's grace to have access to our life and then we just leave people out in the weeds and say, well, do the best you can. Now, that'll get me on something else that's not even on these notes. So those things. Now, now the, what, what we're talking about then or what we're discussing in the means of grace are what the church and Wesley always called acts of piety. Sounds like a kind of a religious word. But the instituted and the providential means of grace are acts of... Here's where I want to go for a second because I, I, I'm so thankful the church throughout the centuries, not just this church, but the, the church fathers and others suggested there was also another way. And there's some of us in this room probably that are a little more what I would call active, you know, like me, you know, like I, I have ADD in HD. I have it high definition. I had a, a someone come to my class one time on a Wednesday night and say, an elderly lady, which, you know, you can't say anything back when they're a little older than you. And she said to me, she, we'd never talked before. She goes, when you were a kid, were you on Ritalin? <laughs> no. And, and I said, well, first of all, it kind of hurts my feelings you'd ask because we don't know each other. And second, I'm so old, I hadn't developed it yet. But if it had been there, I'd have been on it. Yeah. But some of us, I mean, the, the idea of silence and the idea of getting away on a, you know, I have some friends that are introverted and, you know, uh, uh, whenever I went on sabbatical about, 10, about 12 years ago, or four, whatever it was, when I went on sabbatical, I remember thinking to myself, oh no, I'm going to be myself every day. And I don't like me that much. <laughs> really, I'm serious, I thought. Now, you know, over here's an introverted corner in the back. I'm now going to really get in trouble with Becky and them. I got an introverted corner to tell them to go spend a day with a book and a pen and a journal. That's what we call heaven. See, for me, I'd be going, okay, where am I? Really, I mean, I'm serious. I, I worried about that. I thought, I can't go to a library or I can't go off into a cabin by myself. All those guys up there will, you know, they'll really be plotting against me. Solitude for me and that kind of thing is, you know, I've got a, I've got a threshold on that stuff. And uh, when I was a pastor, I remember I used to do a day a month for what I called Quell Day. In German, Quell means together. And I would take a day when I would not tell my secretary was. I'd, I'd call in at noon. I wouldn't take a pager and there weren't cell phones back then. I said, I'll call in at noon, and if there's an emergency, I'll, I'll let you know where I am. Uh, but, I, but I spent a day at a park area by myself with, a, with my Bible and a journal and a hymn book and a thermos of coffee. And it was okay. <laughs> you know, I learned some things. I sent some things. So I, 
made the mistake of doing this every month. <laughs> the second time I did that, after I was there about 20 minutes, I just said, there's got to be an emergency somewhere I need to be at. <laughs> Somebody have an emergency. I think I'm having an emergency. <laughs> it was one of the most painful experiences of my life. Because God began to then deal with some things and start tweaking some things and saying, here's some stuff I'd like to talk with you about. Now, I don't hear a voice, but I'm smart enough to know, I think, when I sense the Spirit of God trying to deal with some stuff. And so, but some of us aren't like that. I mean, I, I'm just not a real uh, quiet person. I've got, after a while, I'll just yell. Yeah, just to hear something. When I was doing my doctoral work, I'd have to drive all the way to Lexington, Kentucky. And I can tell you, right about Rolla, Missouri, I'd been listening to the radio and like that. I just started talking out loud. Hey, what do you think about that? I don't know. It's pretty good. I just needed to hear a human voice in the car. Really, I'm serious. You know, now you're probably not coming back to Sunday school. But, but what I'm saying is the church and others have recognized that not all of us are wired like that. Is anybody like me, you're not wired for all that quiet and silence and all that reflective stuff and all of that, you know, I got a, an impression, you know, I, oh, I get them all the time. Um, they also talked about acts of mercy as a means of grace. Acts of mercy. John Wesley taught this, that for some, they experience as much of the grace of God as they act in mercy and ministry to other people, as they ever do reading the Bible. Anybody like that? That when you serve and you're involved, you sense God's presence. You're empowered. There, there, there's a sense in which when you care for the poor or you drill a well or, or you care for a neighbor or you, you give and you get involved in something, there's a sense in which you say, you know what, this is why I love this so much. Because the church has always said these acts of mercy are a means of grace. I'll tell, tell you what happened to us in our centered group. Some of these wonderful folks here were in our centered group. We had a great time. And we were going down to the Jesus house. or some, Was that where it was? <clears throat> the Jesus house to, to feed some folks. And I had uh, made a doctor's appointment at, at uh, 60. I finally decided I probably should have a colonoscopy. You know, I don't ever get in a hurry. You know, And uh, so I'd had an appointment and they canceled it. And so... They had remade the appointment, and I knew I couldn't miss it, but we're going down to the Jesus house to serve. And uh, so I said, I just can't miss the doctor's appointment. I really want to be with the, the, the group. So I said, I'll just have to do them both. So I'm getting out of the doctor's office. We're, they're meeting downtown at 5. I'm getting out of the doctor's office about 5, and I'm going home up the Hefner Parkway with all that traffic. And I said, I need to change and then go back, and I'm at the fight traffic going back that way. And I thought, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. I said, no, no, you're, you're part of the team. You, you know, be, be, a, be a team player. So I went down there. And as I'm going, I'm thinking, you know what? God, you, pro you, you through the scriptures and through the church, you know, Jesus made some pretty important issues about service and ministry. And I said, I'm going to trust you that I'm going to experience your grace. I, I'm, you know, I get there by that time. I'm just doing the second round on hot dogs. You know, hey, want another hot dog? You know, here. I'm, I mean, they've already eaten, but they're having hot dogs and stuff like that. And I'm pushing that around. I came home and I said to Becky, I just want to tell you something. It wasn't just being with those people. It was in those acts of mercy that we were together 
that I sense God's grace and power in my life in a way I haven't in years. Now, that's fascinating. For some of us that aren't as reflective to believe that when we participate in those things, that we're actually experiencing God's grace as power. You know it, don't you? I'm talking to some people that know this. They've experienced I'm going to tell you why. This is why, sidebar, this is why ministry and involved being in ministry is so important. If you're just sitting on the sidelines, you don't experience this grace as power. If you're just watching everybody else or you're just funding it, you know, giving money, and you're not involved in ministry, that's why you don't experience the grace of God as power through acts of mercy. And I'm telling you, it's profound. Wesley said, in feeding the poor, visiting the prisoners, in doing ministry, he said people can experience as much of God's grace that as they do reading the Bible. And some of us would say, you know what, I agree with that. I, that that's true for me. So I, I just want to encourage you to understand, go listen to last week if you want to. This took longer than I thought, but go listen last week. I'm really passionate about this because I'm telling you, it changed the way I approach the Christian life. I no longer just try harder. It's that I participate, I make access to my life for the means of grace for God to do something in me that I can't do myself. I'm not earning anything. I'm not getting better. I'm not better because I do it. I'm what? Giving God what? Access. So how are you doing that? How are you giving God access to your life? Hopefully it's not just Sunday morning. Hopefully it's during the week. It's certain days. Maybe it's reading scripture, but th those, uh, those, those are the matters. I just want you to know there are two ways to experience the means of grace. Acts of piety, acts of mercy. And uh, we need to participate. We need to give God access to our life on a more regular, on a more routine kind of basis. Instead of waiting for the providential or the prudential means of grace for God to pull us out just before we feel like we're going to fall apart. So that's it. I just wanted to end that. That's the way to end. Here we go. <laughs> we're back in John 14. And we're looking at this matter about conversations with Jesus. Conversations with Jesus. We've been working on that. We took that break in there and I just, I want to come back. Um, partly uh, because John 14, 15, 16, and 17, in my judgment, is some of the most powerful teaching of all of Scripture. Now, you say, well, that would be all of it. Except the fact that Jesus is really laying down some things about what he's done, what he's doing, and what will happen in terms of the Holy Spirit. Something that we need to understand is this matter of, of, of life as Jesus meant it, particularly as it relates to the power of the Holy Spirit. But today, I want to look at this conversation. We're going to be in John 14. We're going to start about verse 8. We ended there last time, is the challenges of believing. Some of the challenges of believing that I find, at least in this conversation. Challenges. You know, I told you I'm entering, I've entered my sixth decade. That, that, that just sounds weird to me. Uh, somebody said, if you count from zero, you're in your seventh decade. I said, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm fine with that. And I, I, I realize I've had some challenges as I'm getting older. Any, anybody else notice that? You know, there, there's some challenges. I, I remember years ago, Dave Fatkin and I used to play softball together with some other guys. And um, the problem is my brain sometimes thinks I'm still 35. It tricks me often in that way. It tries to make me think I can remember something when I can't. 
You know, I was talking to Cole Fakes up here a while ago, and we were trying to think about something. He said, oh, I can't remember. I said, man, that makes me feel good that you're having trouble remembering that. Because at this decade, it's got me worried, right? But there's some challenges. I, I remember Dave and I were playing a softball with a, with a I, I finally quit after this game. Uh, we were playing softball, and I think I was on second base or something, and somebody, man, just really hit a ball out into the field, and, and I'm rounding second. You know, I can still run. I'm, I'm not that old. I can still run, and I'm going along, and, and the third base coach, Dave Sharp, uh, who doesn't like me, apparently, um, <laughs> Dave sees the ball go to the center field and thinks I, we got it, and he's going, go, 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 and I'm hearing him. I played baseball. I know I had that right foot on that third base bag and turn like you're going home like you mean it, you know? He'd go, go, go. Well, this guy had an arm on him. I mean, a real arm on him. And it's like he threw a dart. You could hear it coming through the field like that. And David's going, go, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. <laughs> Dave, remember this? Go, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back. And, and I'm going, okay, I can only go in one direction at this time in my life. Okay. Once I make the commitment, there's no going back, Dave. So by the time I got to home plate, the guy had had the ball and a cup of coffee and, and a, you know, a half a hot dog and then went, you're out. Yeah. You know, when that happened, I thought, okay, I, I'm going to quit playing softball. It's just too much of a challenge. It's too much of a challenge to play this game with these younger guys. I, I just thought, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I, when I think about that, I think about sometimes, you know, if we'd be honest, do we ever face challenges believe in Jesus? Anybody besides me? I mean, C.S. Lewis made it. C.S. Lewis said, there are some embarrassingly powerful promises in the New Testament. And I don't know what Lewis meant. I don't, I don't know if Lewis meant embarrassingly. There are some embarrassingly powerful verses in the New Testament. I don't know if he means, he didn't give it, I don't know if Lewis means it's embarrassingly powerful because we don't seem to be able to experience it. I, my brain works in a couple of different directions, but there are times, and especially in this particular area, I, I've known it's coming. I, I've said before, is this, embarrassingly, is this an embarrassingly big problem for Jesus? Are you saying something here, Jesus, that you can't pull off? Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? You know, I, I'm part of a church that believes in the power of God. And there's sometimes when I say, okay, I, this embarrassingly powerful promise that you've made, is it me or is it you? <laughs> or was this... I have some friends that are in what we consider dispensational theology and say, well, it's just it was past only for the past. Well, I don't know. But, but there's challenges at times in believing, I think. Look, look here. Uh, Philip said to Jesus, after Jesus made a couple of comments in verse 8, he said, Lord, if you would show us the Father, that'd be enough for us. Now, think about that. These guys, Jesus, Jesus said, I'm leaving you're staying, then I'm coming to get you, and I'm making a house for you. What? What, what? what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm leaving, you're staying, I'll come back, and I'm making a house for you. And, and, and Philip makes this powerful statement, I think, when he says, 
this, this first matter, if you will, the challenge of believing, I'll give it to you, chair on your outline, is the challenge of proximity. The challenge of proximity. Philip said to him, Lord, if you'd show us the Father, that'd be enough. Now, I think Philip is, is relating to a real issue here that, that, that when we go through problems and difficulties, perhaps the most important thing for us to get through that is to know the nature and care of God our Father. I mean, I've watched people that had great medical help, but they had all these fears and doubts about God, and it didn't go well for them emotionally and spiritually. I, I still think that, that if we know that God is for us, if, if, if God is really like Jesus showed us, Meg, you went through some of this, that, that when you hear you have a brain tumor, did God give this to me? Am I being bad? Is he mad at me? How many times do you hear people talk like that? What have I done? What have I done? Philip is saying, look, I don't know where you're going. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what's going on. But if you would show us the Father. How many of us, don't raise your hand. How many of us would say, I, let me say it for you. The greatest challenge for my life at this age in my six, I keep saying this six decade a lot, is this. Really understanding the nature and character of God as one I can trust. I got a lot of theological things out here on the periphery that don't make that much difference. But at the center of it all is, is God trustworthy? Can you trust him? Does he have your best interest at heart? Whenever you get the call or the doctor or the boss, is he that good? See, see, Philip says, if you just show us the Father. I've told you, and Chris, by the way, taught on this a few weeks ago, and it, it really is one of my life verses there in Ephesians 1.15 when Paul says, I pray that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, would give to you a spirit of wisdom, Sophia, the idea of insight, and revelation, apocalypsis. I pray to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, what? In the knowledge of Him. What, what does Paul say you need to know? You need to know the nature of God. I'm convinced that everything else is periphery. Everything else is on the edges. If we don't get straight that God's character is trustworthy and loving and willing to walk with us even when it doesn't look like he is. You know, Oswald Chambers said this, faith is the determination to believe in the character of God even when you don't understand his actions. Faith is a determined act to say, I believe in your character, even though I don't understand your actions. That's what faith is. It's a determination to hold on. So, so Philip says, if you would show us the father and look what, look what Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so much already that you've not come to know who I am? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? And what I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking what's happening here is Jesus is essentially saying the challenge here for you, Philip, is this. You've been close, but you haven't been clear. Think about it. You've been close, but you're not clear. If you've seen me, what do you say? It's right there. You've seen the Father. Show us, wait a minute, hold it, hold it, hold it. If you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father. It's, it's the matter of proximity that, that sometimes we, we just get close, but we don't get clear. Can I ask you to do something? Not now. Don't write it down, but later. Listen, I think that for me, I just, you know, I've been telling you, me, for me, I know what has to be clear for me. In every issue of life, it's the character of God. That's got to be clear for me. That's got to be down straight on my understanding that I know who God is in Jesus Christ. That's not an easy thing. He's a kind of a complicated guy. But to get that clear, listen, I just want to ask you to, to consider, are you just close or are you clear? If you were honest with yourself, would you say, you know, here's something really needs to get cleared up for me. This just is like a low-grade fever. It just keeps hacking away at my faith. Hacking away at my faith. Hacking away at my faith. You're, you're close. You go to church. You read your Bible. But you haven't gotten clear yet on that matter. I want to just say, you can mess around with all that stuff on the edges, on the periphery. But what is that thing in the middle? Because you can be close and not clear. He said, look, you've been around me all this time, and yet you still don't know who I am. I remember I read that. A guy named Dave Ferguson down in Texas came up one time, did a conference, and he read that, and I'd read it several times. I did my Greek project in college over this passage. But I, but I thought, you know, whoa, wait a minute. How many times would Jesus say to me or to you, hey, you know, I've been with you all this time. Don't, don't you know? What is it for you? Is it, is it why doesn't God stop all the suffering in the world? I meet people all the time. They're close. They go to church. They read their Bible like that. But there's something gnawing away at their faith. Gnawing away at it. What is it? Get clear on it. Pull that thing out and say, everything else around here might be somewhat important. But this is central. And what I find is, it, I, I just tell you, I, I think that every one of our issues, this is personal opinion, I have to agree with me, thoughts and opinions, teach not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, elders are leadership. I got that down now. <laughs> if you remember, the first sin in the garden was to call into question the character of God. Did he really say that? And you know what? It's because he doesn't want you to be as smart as him. See, this God is holding out. This God doesn't have your best interest at heart. And it's my judgment that no matter how close you are in proximity, until that gets clear, you can never believe. I can't believe in a God that I'm scared to death of. I can't believe in a God that I keep having to try out for, you know? I can't believe in a God that I'm on probation. I, 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 somebody said to me one time, I thought, you know, are you, here's, are you living like you're forgiven or are you living like you're on probation? Some of us live like we're on probation. We think if we do one thing, we're going back to slammer, right? We think we're on probation instead of forgiven. Is that what you need to get clear on? Is it the character of God? Is it the forgiveness of God? Is it the nature of God? Is it the problem of suffering? Listen, these are real issues now. But I'm just saying, this proximity, this issue, it just stunned me. They said, look, I've been with you this long and you still don't know. 
It reminds me of a scene of a movie, which I think that everything in the world goes back to the Godfather. <laughs> you have any question in life, it will be answered. In one, two, or three. Either one. I'm reminded, though, in that scene in Godfather 3 when Michael Corleone, I, I, I've got the lines memorized, but... Um, I, I watched it when they cleaned it up and put it on TV. I don't go to an R-rated movie. But I remember when Cardinal Lamberto was talking to Michael in the courtyard, and Michael is having some issues about he's killed his brother and he's going to confess later, but, you know. But uh, Lamberto is talking with him and trying to make a point, and there's that beautiful fountain, you know, with all the water, and they're standing around it after Corleone had some orange juice, and, and, he, and he pulls a rock out. And he takes it and he says, see that rocket? You know, it's just covered in water. And he cracks it on the side of that fountain. Remember? Remember what happened? The rest of y'all, Godfather buddies with me here. (laughs) Cracks that rock open and he goes, see? This rock that has been in the water all this time on the inside is dry as dust. He said this, the same thing has happened to men in Europe. For centuries they've been surrounded by Christianity. But Christ has not penetrated. Centuries. I I never forgot that scene. I thought, there it is. There's a rock that's been in the water day in and day out and day in and day out. And when you crack it open, even though the proximity of that rock is right there in the water, it's still dry. The, the, The issue here then with Philip, at least in some measure and maybe in our lives, The challenge for belief is us is that we think sometimes if we just get close, we got clear. Just because we go to church, we're clear now. Because we pray every once in a while, we're clear. Because we have some religious ideas, we're clear. No, no. We can be close and not clear. I'll tell you when some of this clarity will happen, I think. I want it to happen before this. But often, clarity occurs when we finally hit something we can't handle, then it gets clear. Why did you do this, God? What have I done? Where are you in all this mess? How could you let this happen? All of those things start getting real clear. We just keep them down, don't we? It's a challenge. I want to ask you, at least to consider this this week. What if this week you asked Jesus to help you be more aware of his presence in an event or nature or another person or scripture or prayer to say, you know what? I don't want to just be close. I want to be clear. I want to become more aware, as I said about the means of grace, that God is... He's always speaking. He's always reaching. He's always interested. He's always concerned. It's just we don't make any access for him. And the, the noise of the world and the noise of life blows it out. Would you ask him to be more aware of his presence? To not settle for closeness, but ask for clarity. And maybe it is that issue that you know about. That you need to talk to someone. I'll I'll talk to you. I'll probably refer you to a book or a discussion point or something. To say, how do I deal with this? 
I've been around the church all my life, and this thing is gnawing the very life out of me. I can't get it off of me. I can't deal with it. It keeps coming back, and I just keep, I just keep sensing it. I'm close. I'm not clear. I just say to you, at some point, you're going to have to get clear. Life's going to force you to get clear. It's going to make you get clear. It's going to make me get clear. Okay? Second thing. Let's look at it here real quick. You, of course, you know I never do that, but, but I like to say it. <laughs> the content. The challenge of content. The challenge of proximity, and this is all about belief, and then the challenge of content. Look what Jesus says in verses 10 and 11. I'm going to pick up order. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? You might want to, that word in, I'm coming back to the word in. I say, I'll speak on my own initiative with the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works that I do. You know, this, this, there's a challenging term here for me as I work through this. this. This content that Jesus says about belief. He says, you have to believe that the Father is where? In me. Now, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean when Jesus said, listen, you've got to believe something here, Cliff, or particularly Philip, but we're bringing it down to me. You've got to believe something that the Father's in me. This idea is, Not just some mystical idea. Let me, let me just read you what I wrote. I'm in the Father. What does this mean? The notion here suggests, I think, something radically different. It's this. In, I mean, radically different from other religions. That when he says, the Father is in me, meaning your Father is involved in me and in this world. Think about that for a minute. Think about it for a minute that, that Jesus is saying the Father, the God of heaven and earth is in me and I'm here. There's no other gods in the Greek pantheon or the Roman pantheon that suggest that their God came a man to become one of them. This is involvement. The, the, the challenge of this content is do you believe that God became a man? Now, we've all been Christians long enough. We go, sure, yeah, well, hold on. Think about that for a minute. The New Testament's pretty clear that the Jews think this is, this is blasphemy and the Gentiles, Paul said, the Greeks think it's crazy that the Father was in Jesus taking the initiative of being involved. Take, take the Father's in me, man. Listen, I'm not telling you about somebody I'm not just reporting something to you. I'm telling his very nature and life is in me. It took the church about 300 years to get this all figured out at the Council of Nicaea. That Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is not an easy thing. You think this is easy? Go read Athanasius' work on the incarnation. We think we're the smartest people are. I'm telling you, that's the hardest stuff I've ever read in my life. It's like 14 sentences with nine different semicolons in it. The idea that the God of heaven is in this man. We've been Christians too long. We, we just blow that. Oh yeah, sure. Well, hold it here. The God of heaven. Jesus said the Father, you have to believe this, he's in me. We'd send somebody to the hospital if they said that today. Now, now Jesus is going to show you here in a minute why you can still believe his words and his work. But to say the Father 
is in me. You know, it made me think of a verse. I've been meditating on this just for my own uh, value. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5. And uh, it's going to enter the lexicon now in American culture. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it's a fascinating statement where Paul says, all of this is from God who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but giving to us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to listen to this now. That God, the God Yahweh that these people had prayed for, prayed to, sought, the God Yahweh had become in a man. This is hard to get. I know it's Trinity in one, but here's the deal. This notion that God became a man to say, I will participate, I'll get involved in, I'll live the life you have to live. This is the scandal of Christianity, okay? Don't blow it off. Don't act like it's not hard for people to understand. Don't act like it's not difficult to digest by another religion or another culture. This is the high watermark of Christianity to say, this man is God in the flesh. Yeah, okay, I believe that. Really? God was in Christ saying, I'm going to get involved in this thing. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to believe to say that God would say, I'm going to live the way you lived. I'm going to come and get involved in this world. I'm going to live for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to share my life with you. And I'm going to show you how you can live. We've been Christians too long. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I want to show you something here too. We, well, we need this because you know what? In our culture today, in our culture today, people are ganging up in different groups. And you're right and I'm wrong or I'm right and you're wrong. And people are starting getting into these things where these people are more wicked than these other people. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Paul said this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Are you? Are you counting the trespasses against people? Are you giving yourself the right to be, I don't want to say hateful, but are you giving yourself the right to dismiss people or groups or others because you think they're sinful? God didn't do that. Read it. Not counting their trespasses against them, but is given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm not thinking of anybody in this room, but I've heard Christian people that I know that seem to think they've got a pass now to talk badly, poorly, and ugly about people that they consider to be sinful. You hear that? It's wrong. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That was you, that was me, and he was not counting their sins against him. I would think that if God is going to come to the earth and take all that time and do this, that he would be coming here to take names, and you know the rest of it. <laughs> Right? I would think when he's coming here in the incarnation, when he said, I'm going to get involved, and when I get here, it ain't going to be good. My mom, you say, wait till your dad gets home. I said, now, when is that? So I could not be here. Right? I mean, if this God is going to come and be here, I'm thinking he's taking names and getting things straightened out. No. His involvement, 
God was, he said, the Father's in me, man. The Father's in me. He's reconciling the world to himself. Very important. He is not reconciling himself to the world. Get that. Listen, he is not reconciling himself to the world. He already loves the world. You don't have to reconcile God to the sinner. You don't have to reconcile God to the lost person. You don't have to reconcile God to the culture that's gone down the drain, if you think. You don't have to reconcile God. God was reconciling the world to him. The problem's on our end, not his. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That's the content here, or the, the challenge of this content. That the, what does it mean that the Father is in me? That means he's involved. This God is not one to sit by and just watch things happen. He's in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Guys, I'll just tell you, this is my opinion. Again, you don't have to believe me. That's all right. If we're not careful, the way some of Christian people are talking, we're going to lose our voice. We're going to lose our voice on this culture. We've never had to be in power to be powerful. There's a guy named Diocletian who used to put Christians on a post and put tar on them and light them up for his parties. You know what? The church grew. When the Chinese put the church underground with about 2 million of them for about 40 years and they came out, they came out at about 25 million. Okay? So let's just get our head in gear again that God is in Christ trying to reconcile this world to him, not tell them how bad they are and not try to beat them up. That's true for you too. Did you know God was not counting your sins against you when he sent Christ? Think about that for a minute. I, I, I always thought God was mad at me. <laughs> you can imagine why, right? <laughs> That's not hard to imagine. <laughs> no. I always thought God was mad at me. I always thought God was upset with me. I always thought God sent Jesus because he's going to kill me if Jesus didn't come. He's going to whack me out. No, God was in Christ, reconciling Cliff to himself, not counting his sins against him. Saying, I've got an offer for you, Cliff. That's involvement. I'll give you one more. What does it mean to be, the Father is in me? It means the Father's involved in this world. He's not doing this by remote control. I'll tell you another thing I think it is. And this is going to be important later when we get to chapter 15 in the millennium. That... Uh, some of y'all know what that means. When it's going to say later that Christ is in us and the Holy Spirit is in us. It's going to be important to know what this word in means. The other thing, I think that Jesus is relating that the Father is in me. He makes all kinds of statements throughout John, but here's, here's let me give you the, the shorthand on it. That the Father is the source of his life. Jesus often said, I don't do anything unless the Father shows. It, the Father is his source of life. They share this life in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They share this life together. Life together. And really <clears throat> saying that the Father is in me is saying, here's the source of my life. I don't do things on my own. I don't, I don't, I don't initiate something here. I wait and ask him, what do you want me to do? Why? He's the source of my life. Can I tell you why that's important? Later, we'll see where Galatians 2.20 said, it's no longer I live, but Christ who lives 
in me. Colossians 1.27, it's, it's a Christ who is our life. You know why this is important? This, this is why the content is important. Because this, sin is not doing wrong. I don't believe that Jesus came to the earth just to get everybody to act right. It's not a bad idea. But I don't think that's the whole program. Morality. There are a lot of religions that have moral people, you know, right? They're not Christian at all, they're, but they're moral as can be. They may be more moral. John Wesley said one time, well, stop that clip. Here we go. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> that morality can't be the standard, folks, because other religions are incredibly moral. Here's the issue. The source of your life. The source of your life. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Come on. A lot of religions are already doing that. He came to make dead people alive. When Jesus said, the Father's in me, I share this life, this divine life that lives in me. Sin is all... Hold on now. I'm going to give you a new definition. Sin is always an attempt to find life somewhere else. That's the issue. If, you know, if you want to just turn Christianity into a religion of morality, okay. I don't, I don't think that's what the Bible's trying to do at all. I don't think the Bible's trying to make us, it's a bunch of moral pinheads. But he is saying, my life is from the Father. That's my source of life. Greg Boyd, a guy I read sometimes, don't believe everything he says, but he said this, the essential nature of sin is that we are seeking life from other places other than God. Maybe you might use the word meaning. I'm seeking the meaning in my life. You know, what, what do we do? We try to find our source of life and having enough money. If somebody says, well, you know, if I could just have more money, I, I, life would really be good for me, Okay. Or, or I, I need more status. If I had more status, if people looked up to me. Or if there was a certain person in my life, or that's who would make me happy. I need this for my life. All of those things are seeking life somewhere else. And I think Jesus says it here and other places. My life comes from my Father. I don't do anything. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a challenge for us to say, I want to be so dialed in. I, I, I want to be so alert to the fact that Jesus comes to bring me life that I'm just waiting to hear. What, what do you want next? Is that impossible for us? Is it even possible for us to say, I, I just want to live my life responding? Now, you know, I say to people when they say, and, and if God doesn't respond, don't worry about it. I told you to respond. No, don't, you know. I remember when I was trying to decide to come to teach at Mid-America, I was having a terrible time trying to decide what to do. Pray and fast and all kinds of stuff. I remember yelling one night. I don't, I don't recommend this. But I did say, hey, 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 it's your job to tell me what to do, my job to do it, so when you do your job, I'll do mine. Like that. <laughs> it's not my job to create life. It's not my job to create power and life. It's not, it's not my job to create, okay, God, tell me what to do. And he doesn't say, then don't worry about it. Just keep 
trucking. See, where do you get your life? Where, do you, where, do you, where are you looking for life? I was going through this the other day with myself and thinking somehow I get, like Jesus said in Mark 4, I, the cares of life get a hold of me. Buddy and I were talking about that the other day at breakfast. I, the cares of life. Doesn't that, I mean, you know, if, if my house doesn't increase in equity, life's going to be terrible, right? That's what I think. Or if I don't have this much money in my 401k at some point, which I don't. I told Becky, I can tell you when we're going to die. <laughs> I know. I got the day written down on my calendar. It's a lot sooner than you think. <laughs> See, I mean, I don't start like that, but, I, but that starts being too important. And all of a sudden, the life is drained out. It's not, it's, don't, don't, you know, I'm not saying don't have a 401k. I'm not saying about your house. But the cares of this world will get a hold of you so much that you think it's those things there that are going to bring me life. And Jesus is saying, listen, the Father's in me. He's involved and he's my life. Could that be said of us? Jesus, you're my life. I'll tell you, when I was in seminary, the, the most profound thought that ever came in this regard was that the Christian life is not difficult to live. It's impossible. You don't have the horsepower. You don't have the life. I don't either. And we have to admit that finally and say, Jesus, like you have the Father in you. I have to have you in me. It really did help me calm down a little. It really did stop some of the straining to say, what good does it do? I, I told you in the means of grace, it's sort of like a sailor getting on the deck of a ship that's got a big sail up and the wind's not blowing and just deciding, well, I'm just going to push harder on the mainsail. <laughs> it's not going to do anything. It just exhaust you. It's no longer our life. It's his. So the content here, it's hard to believe. So here, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. But this week, by next Saturday, you sit down with a friend and discuss what particularly tempts you to draw away from Jesus as your life. Could be your job. Could be your house equity. Could be your kids. I mean, I'm, you're just so worried about them. It, it's a, it just consumes you. You think, if I could just get my kids straightened out, everything would be great. No, no. What is it that tempts you and pulls you away from seeing Jesus as your life? Could be your health. You know, you, you, you just think, if I could just get well, I, I hope you do. Or it could be relationships. If I could just get this relationship straightened out. No. Maybe you will. But what is it that pulls you back? At the end of the day, you're exhausted. 
Not, not because you just worked hard. That, that, that won't kill you. I tell my students, there's a rumor going around that hard work will kill you, but it won't. I promise. Yeah. They think it will. But you know what I'm talking about. The life is draining out. Jesus said, the Father's in me. He's my source of life. So how about you and me? Is that available to us? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're talking about stuff that's way above our pay grade. There's mystery here. There's wonder. There's a miracle here. But most of us in this room have come to some understanding that we need your life like you needed the life of your father. I don't know how you're going to do that and I don't know what it's even going to look like except that on the inside we're going to settle down and just look to you. Not in some weird way or goofy but in a relaxed, calm assurance that this one who came to us was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself to live in us. We pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.